1: My guest today, Cindy Ashton, was born with only a 20% chance of living, underwent three heart surgeries by the age of 14, and was left in chronic pain with a damaged lung. Surpassing all the odds, she's gone on to train in a professional dance company, six hours a day, and sing opera, even with her damaged lung. She combines her extensive backgrounds in performing, education and kinesiology with her own real-life experience to give people real-life strategies for superstar living, leading them to beat their odds and claim their very own red-carpet moment. Through keynote speeches, interactive seminars and motivational concerts across North America, Cindy Ashton has shared the stage with such motivational powerhouses as Barbara De Angelis, Lisa Nichols and Bob Proctor. With over eight years as an educational consultant for the Royal Conservatory of Music's Distinguished Learning Through the Arts program, she's facilitated workshops and mentored teachers On how to integrate the arts into the curriculum as well as functioned as a representative to demonstrate the program for various media her hands-on work with students focused on building self-esteem confidence cooperation and creativity being published in two teacher resource guides her extensive work in the field is being used by teachers across canada where motivation meets the red carpet, you will find Cindy Ashton taking the stage. Singer, entertainer, speaker, and author of Kiss Your Monsters Goodbye, Cindy's dedication has resulted in receiving President Obama's Quarter Action Award for providing outstanding services to her community. Cindy Ashton
0: My one companion, you were all that mattered, you were once a first
1: Ashton, welcome to you.
2: Thank you so much, David. I'm so honored to get to spend this next little while with you. We're going to have some fun.
1: Thank you again to Patrick O'Brien for bringing us this opportunity. Cindy, as I had indicated before the program, I always like to take our guests back to their childhood and draw that magic line in the sand for our audience so that they have a good narrative running through the program. Can you start off by giving us some background, memories of your childhood, where you grew up, where that has led you today with the most profound points of interest?
2: Sure, I would love to. Um, I live down here in L.A., California, but I was actually born in Canada, Toronto, Canada, okay, technically Burlington, which is outside of Toronto, but pretty close to Toronto, and I was born there. And, you know, since I was swimming in my mother's womb as a little fetus, I've always known that I wanted to sing, dance, and act. And um, as a little child, I, I would go into my mom's closet, and I would get the sequins and line up my arms, and I would dim the lights and put on the record player and stand on tables and sing and dance. And, you know, I've always been a born performer. And um, like everybody on their path, we have our, which I lovingly call monsters. <laughs> we have our monsters, we have our obstacles, our challenges. And my challenge is actually my body. And um, when I was born, I was born with heart failure and a 20% chance of living. And the left side of my body was structurally damaged. And so I had three heart surgeries, one at 11 days old, not years, 11 days old, Five years old and 14 years old and I had to wear casts on my legs in order for me to learn how to walk and be able to move. So here I am, this girl that wants to sing, dance and act and growing up I spent a lot of time in the hospital not knowing if I would be able to survive past my teenage years. So that's the brief, 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 brief history of my childhood.
1: How do you looking back see that progression? How did you overcome? in retrospect, those obstacles that were in your path?
2: There's two ways that I did it. You know, when you're born into this planet and you're ready to die when you're born, (laughs) you're kind of in a situation where you automatically go into fight or flight, and I fought. And so growing up, I had this spirit i had a really bubbly spirit like i do now and i was full of life and i was a fighter i mean even though i was really sick and you know i would turn blue in toronto canadian winters you know because i was so cold and my vessels weren't working i mean i would still be you know hanging upside down on the on the monkey swings and and doing being a very active child despite being really sick and a lot of that was just because you know i just naturally had that fighter instinct and So at 14, after my last heart surgery, doctors said that I would be on medication for life. I wouldn't be able to handle activity beyond walking because the pressure on my heart wouldn't be too good. It might give me a heart attack. I was told to take general courses, don't go to university, basically don't have stress in your life, which is impossible for anybody. Um, And so... You know, at 14, I was still in that fighter stage, and because I had grown up and I was very isolated in my childhood because I missed a lot of school, so it was hard to make friends. And because the left side of me was structurally damaged and I looked weird, and because of the scarring I had, you know, my chest was protruding, and so I, so I was, I was, I was really considered a freak at school, and I was always, you know, teased and even beaten up a couple of times because of, you know, because I was being different. So I'd always. At that point, by the time I was 14, when I was giving that prognosis, you know, I really was in a place where I hated myself, I hated the world, and I hated doctors, and I was a 14-year-old, which meant I was automatically defiant, and I was still a child, so I was still you know, not stuck in my thinking like we are as adults unless we choose to choose something different, but usually by adulthood, we're still stuck in our boxes. So I was already completely outside of the box and completely, you know, different than everybody else always. that I just at that age, I decided to fight back. And it really wasn't, it was more from a place of fear and lack and that I just wasn't enough and that I wanted to prove to the world that I was worth something and that I was going to do it and that I was going to make it. And so the good news about that is that even though I was motivated from that place, I mean, within a year I was off medication, and I have been medication-free for about 20 years now. I ended up, you know, going into dance classes a year later and ended up training six hours a day in a professional dance company. Four years later, and many, many years later, I went on to sing opera, even on the damaged lung that I had from one of my surgeries. So definitely the way that I overcame it when I was younger is partially because it was just in my spirit, because I was born with this great spirit of just wanting to survive and do and live and breathe, and a lot of it was just from the fear of that I just wasn't enough and that I wasn't worth anything and wanted to prove myself, whereas now that I'm a lot older and that I've worked through my, through my emotional issues and my psychological damages that I had... You know, I'm definitely in a place where I am so driven from this place of gratitude for what I have accomplished in my life in this place of love and, and, and compassion for all the other people in the world who are suffering in some way. And that's what's driving me now. It's now from from a place of love versus fear and not enough from where I was when I was a child.
1: So when you were young, were you established in Western medicine or I realize that you are a believer in holistic medicine at this stage and more interested in your studies in Reiki and the chakra system which I'm very knowledgeable on. Was that something that you were aware of in your younger years or were you in the system and being conditioned by the system as it were?
2: That's a great question. I mean, definitely when you're growing up and you're sick, you're kind of just taken, I mean, you're basically taken to the hospital and going back and forth, and doctors are taking care of you, right? So I wasn't even in a position that I would have even thought of going after alternative medicine and Eastern ways of doing things because it just wasn't something that was in my sphere. However, when I was 14 and doctors gave me that prognosis, I immediately went and started to do research on my condition, which is how I healed, you know, myself and got out of medication, partially because I read a lot about my condition, about the medications, about what I needed to do, about dieting, exercise to really heal myself. And so I was definitely Western, Westernized growing up. However, as I got older and was into my 20s and I started to do my emotional healing, of course, spiritual healing came in, and then I started to really look into the Western stuff and, and, and alternative things. And that's that's really what has healed me. Osteopathy has been huge, chiropractic massage. Even now I'm still doing myofascial treatments to really be able to still make sure that I can structurally move and breathe and dance and sing. So, you know, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing journey because I'm not 100%. It's always, I'm always having more to heal from all the damage that I had, but it's definitely shifted from Western medicine to alternative healing. And, of course, I do meditation, and like you said, I do Reiki on myself, and I breathe into my chakras, and, and I do all that, and I chant, and I do all that stuff as well. So definitely now I'm completely on the alternative and, and Eastern side.
1: Do you illustrate in that in in any way in your talks and events? I know a wonderful organization in Los Angeles that I work with called Turning the Wheel. Its founder, Elena Shaw, has a dancing foundation that she's had for 20 years. And they are very much uh, based around the consciousness, the power of the body, the chakras, and bringing people together through this turning the wheel. Is that another reason why you do what you do now to raise the consciousness of people and their wellness through dance?
2: Absolutely. I believe, you know, I talk a lot, and especially in the first chapter of my book, Kiss Your Monsters Goodbye, I talk a lot about our body and that our body has its own innate wisdom, and it's about listening, listening. To your body and talking to your body and a lot of healing has happened because i've been still and i have closed my eyes and i've talked to my body and i would breathe in my body and go oh i'm feeling tension in my shoulder and i'd say hey shoulder how you doing there i can feel that you, you know there's some tension what are you trying to tell me or i feel there's some constriction here what are you trying to talk to me about and because our body tells us stuff and our, and if you just sit and you listen and you talk to your body and you give it love complete acceptance and gratitude, then it will talk back to you. You'll start to get insights about what it's about and why you're holding that pain or why you're holding that grief. And it's extraordinary because you'll start to heal in that way. But also, as you talk and listen to your body, your body will guide you as to how it wants to move to release it. And so when you're talking about dance, you know, I unconsciously did this as a teenager every day i would put on music twice a day and just dance the music the way that my body wanted to dance and when you do that and you listen to your body and you follow the movement even if you're not dancing and you're walking but you find you're moving your hips more you're moving your arms whatever it is and when you're moving your body releases attention and releases a cellular memory if you just allow yourself to allow your body wisdom to take over it's really quite incredible
1: yeah that's interesting talking about cellular memory in my work I do work with uh, people like John Perkins the author and dr. Lee Jampolski all these wonderful people who work with shamanic teachings and these chakras and everything you're talking about here is essentially eliminating the conditioning that we've all been under not only in our own lifetimes but that our parents have been and their parents have been And it sounds to me as if you are taking the heroic journey of pushing back against the problems that we have with Western medicine and looking at the holistic area that really does infuse into human beings the strength and power that they have through intention in their bodies.
2: Absolutely. You know, I will always say that I am so infinitely grateful that the doctor saved my life. And I do believe that there is a place for western medicine there definitely is but i also see too many people have a headache and pop a tylenol as opposed to saying i wonder what kind of stress i'm under maybe what maybe my body's trying to say something to me same thing with a cold i mean i rarely take medication i have to be practically dead on the floor to take medication and because whenever something's happening i just simply be i'm i just simply am being with my body and saying hey what are you telling me am i working too hard you know, am I making the wrong decision and you're trying to warn me but I'm not listening? You know, our body is very intuitive. It's like it's like David, when you meet somebody you either find your body crumpling up and, and you're and you're putting your arms across yourself or you're finding yourself letting your arms go and you're finding yourself bringing your chest forward and you're, you know, you either feel good when you meet somebody or you don't and your body is talking to you. It's the same thing in every situation in our life. Our body is talking to us all the time. And if we simply listen to our body and listen to that wisdom, we can heal a lot of our body and be preventative with, our, with, with needing to go and, and to a Western doctor.
1: Who was it as a child that inspired you? So we've talked about your lifestyle with holistic medicine and understanding that deep sense of consciousness, our intention, and in that what we think and believe and do can actually manifest itself in the way that we live. Can you look at heroes or mentors that you had when you were young who were in entertainment who were dancers who looking back now could possibly represent that type of lifestyle that type of inherent approach inspirational values in those that you have now in looking at this holistic area looking at this very positive way of looking at life
2: you know it's interesting because my influences growing up were not specifically inspiring me to have a holistic way of being. Um, The influences I had as children were really women who were outside the box because I was so different than everybody else, and I was always the kid that was picked on, and I was so just my own person. And so for me growing up, it wasn't so much that I was looking at people in terms of holistically healing myself, but, you know, my greatest influences were Madonna, for example, because she was so outside the box and she was willing to push back. I've always had a really hard time with being put in a box and having boundaries, and I appreciated that she was willing to test the rules of society. I appreciated that she was willing to test new things, try new things, push boundaries, and she was definitely somebody that I looked up to, but also in terms of dancers, Martha Graham was one of my biggest influencers growing up as well. She was a modern dancer at the turn of the century. And, again, she pushed boundaries and of what our bodies could do, of what our souls could do, and she was definitely more spiritual. I, I know that Madonna has become more spiritual with age. She was, certainly wasn't when I was younger, because <laughs> she had just came out at that time. But um, Martha Graham was another one who, who, who had influenced me growing up. Um, in terms of going the holistic route, I think, you know, I think a lot of it is that because I had died when I was five and went to the other side and they came back, I started seeing spirits growing up and I never understood what it was. And then when I, when I was older, I actually went to a psychiatrist when I was in my 20s and said, I think I have a mental illness because I see these translucent figures and they, and they talk to me and he goes, oh, you're, you're just intuitive and you can see spirits. I'm like, oh, is that what that is? <laughs> I had no idea what it was because it was just not something we talked about and not, you know, so I think that in terms of that it was just me seeing it as a child growing up and then discovering it when I went for psychiatric help because I thought there was something wrong with me um, to starting to say, oh, what is this whole spiritual side and what is this intuitive side and, you know, and definitely my mom also, you know, used to read some of those books as well and and that got me thinking about it so I think that those probably were more of my influences.
1: It sounds to me as if you experienced to psychological death in your younger years perhaps and maybe even later and a psychological death is essentially required in many people to take them out of their sleep to wake them up to take them from this world into a special world and then of course be able to bridge between the two looking at that concept and would you agree with that firstly but looking at that concept can you see that it is possibly essential in people to go through a psychological death in order for them to find that inspiration those qualities that you have that victorious quality of never giving up of having so much perseverance
2: that's an amazing question i've never been asked that i love it it's great um can you be really clear with me of what a psychological death is because I actually have never heard of that. So I just want to be able to answer accurately.
1: Well, a psychological death, uh, in the case of friends of mine, very well-known people could be having traveled through a drug addiction, possibly coming near to death, being in a car accident, and against all the odds, surviving. That sort of death, it's a psychological death, it's not a real death, but it does necessarily mean that they may, for a while, go from this world into a special world by whatever purpose or desire from within themselves they find a way to stay in this world but it does change their outlook they do see things in a different way they do understand their own bodies it does find their own inner self and that puts them apart and if you're talking about the world today when we're in so much chaos it's possibly a community or global chaos in a psychological death that is required to actually eradicate all the problems that we have in the world today
2: I completely agree with you. Thank you so much for clarifying. Yeah, it's like we've hit the rock bottom or it's like the, the phoenix that, 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 that rises out of the ashes suddenly. It's like it has to burn to, to nothing before it can come back kind of thing. And, um, yeah, it's really interesting because when that whole credit crash thing happened, when was that, like two and a half years ago, October? and i i said to it and i just saw everybody falling apart and then i moved to the us actually right after that which was madness on my part it's <laughs> like i just walked right into the middle of the fire and but it was interesting because i said everybody was panicking and freaking out on tv and i was like you know what i said this isn't necessarily a bad thing i th- you know i kind of looked at it like like maybe what you're saying is which was a, like um a psychological death i said because the way that we have been living in North America, not just, you know, Americans, I think Canadians to an extent as well, you know, is that we have been very gluttonous and very entitled. And and the thing is is that we are putting everything materialism ahead, and this has forced us to really have to wake up. And there has been some incredible things I've seen since I've moved down here in the U.S. I mean, I'm certainly seeing people being... You know, losing your home with people saying you're not going to end up homeless, come stay with me i'll take care of you like I'm certainly starting to see more community come out of it um I don't know David, if you've had the opportunity to travel, but anywhere else in the world, people are much more in a community they they work together more um and it's not as 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 material, but you know, and you have kids in really poor places who are happy as a clam, you know, and our kids, if they don't get their latest xbox game, they're miserable, you know. <laughs> So it's been, I, I agree with you that, that you need, some, I mean, it's your wake-up call. Sometimes you just need to be bashed on the head and that's going to really wake you up and make you change and make and see the world in a different place for sure.
1: Interestingly, I see here that you gained a bachelor's degree in music from York University and in that you had some advanced studies in relaxation, health psychology and education. What took you in that direction? Was it because you wanted to expand your knowledge in dance or more in music, the arts, and the consciousness of people more?
2: Well, it was interesting because I had to pick a second major, and obviously music was my first one, and when I was looking through the book, I was really, really interested and all those health and nutrition courses, and I thought, oh, so I decided to do a degree, my second major in kinesiology, which is where I, I focused on doing um, my relaxation therapy specialization in nutrition. So it was interesting. I really didn't take that so that I could be, you know, become a personal trainer or anything like that. But I did take it so I could learn about the body, especially because my body had been through so much. And at that point, I was like, what, eighteen, nineteen? So. I had spent 14 years not knowing if I was going to live or die and in and out of hospitals, and I was still going to the hospital quite a bit at that point. For me, it wasn't so much about wanting to get a degree and go out there and work in that industry or going to be a doctor after or whatever. It was more about I wanted to learn about, you know, anatomy and physiology and and how our body works because I wanted to make sure that I could stay healthy and heal myself for the rest of my life. In terms of the education that I did um, part of my degree, That was about me wanting to help people, you know, and part of it was about me denying my true gifts, which was not that I'm not a gifted teacher. I mean, I loved my students, but it was also me being afraid to really embrace myself as a singer, dancer, actor. So I thought, oh, I'll go into teaching and then I can, you know, help other people. So that's really where that
1: came from. The way that you help other people as a facilitator when you're in a keynote speech or in any type of event do you look at it or, and look at other people from the basis of co-creating? Do you draw them into your world and offer them this idea of co-creation as we move, no doubt, into a different evolutionary period approaching us now?
2: That's an awesome question. Definitely when I'm speaking... My first priority is to really help people to be inspired and really remember who they are because on a daily basis we are inundated with so much negativity and we have, uh, we all have our group, our set of monsters, <laughs> so to speak, and we all are functioning from that and a lot of us end up, including myself for many years, we end up forgetting that we're from a divine source. If there is one thing that I learned from dying and going to the other side is that we are definitely from a divine source and the way that I tell my audience is about this is that it's like there's an ocean and the ocean is source and the waves, we are individual waves in that ocean. And so we're actually not separate from the ocean, but we're a part of it and we can pull in whatever we need to from that source. So when you talk about co-creating, I I spend a lot of time really helping people to remember who they really are and just inspiring them to take time every day to connect to that part of themselves because the more that we can heal, you know, the layers of us that is just inauthentic and get back to who we really are, back to our real essence, the more that we are going to have the courage to step into that essence, allow it to shine and not only satisfy ourselves but give back to, to everybody around us.
1: And that is a process, isn't it, because it's always shedding the layers on that onion. As my good friend Professor Bill Tiller says, in many cases to eliminate the human frailties, which in our world today are addictions, fear, denial, codependency, and many others, you probably have to go through a five to ten year period. In order to allow all of those negative effects, all of those aspects of our lives that have been so driven into us and so conditioned in us over the centuries, that it does take the time to achieve it. And these days, what I notice in people is that they look for immediacy. And if they don't receive that, then they give up very quickly.
2: Absolutely. You know, that's been something I've noticed even when I was a teacher. When I first started teaching, it was really easy for me to get the kids to be disciplined. And by the time I was done my career 12 years later, by that point, the kids had internet and they had all their stuff, you know, right at their fingertips that the kids could get anything at their fingertips why would they they didn't understand delayed gratification and so if they would go to sing they just want to sing the song but they don't want to work on the technical stuff to make the song better because it's a process and it's a muscle that needs to be trained you know or same thing with piano they did not want to have to practice they just want to play it right away and it's like well you can't <laughs> you know and I just we live in a world of instant gratification and you know, one of the toughest things for me is when I do my speaking stuff is that I don't want to say I'm anti-self-help, but the self-help world is ridden with people preaching a quick fix, and I never fit into that box. I know that quick fixes don't work. I mean, I just look at even my, with my healing, my last surgery when I was 14, and I'm now 35, and I'm still healing stuff. From all the damage from childhood, I mean, every year I'm healthier and healthier, but it has been a long time, and it's taken a lot of discipline. And there's certain things I've got to do every day to make sure that I'm in good health that most people don't have to do. So it's really so I I actually don't like it when people say that I'm in the self help world because it's it's just an industry of quick fixes. Because I don't believe in that. I believe in growth and evolution. And 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 if you've been like you said, we've got generations of stuff that we're breaking through and years of a pattern that we've been holding is not going to break through in one day but it's about finding the joy right now as you slowly break it apart and shift your life definitely
1: let's talk about your book kiss your monsters goodbye in context to that those aforementioned principles that we've just discussed when you talk about monsters are you talking in the same vein and the same purpose as i've just mentioned those human frailties is that all part of the purpose of the book the objective
2: well, really, uh, when I talk about monsters, it's really defining it as the obstacles or the fears or the limitations that you have in your way that's standing in your way of your true essence and being able to go out there and live your authentic life, the, the, the goals and dreams that you really want. And I say authentic because, again, in the self-help world, there's a group of, of people that it's all about. They just want a quick fix and to make a million dollars, and that's not what I'm selling because there's nothing wrong with money, and, and I love money because it could do a lot of good in the world, but a lot of people don't literally want money so they can stick it on their wall and look at it, but they want a certain experience, and you really want to get to the authentic part of that, of what are your gifts and what experiences do you want in your life, and all that other stuff is gravy. When I talk about the, when the book really is about breaking, you know, part of it is about getting in touch with yourself so you can listen to yourself and, you know, rebuild your confidence, but a lot of it is about really breaking down the patterns and identifying what are your false fears and what are your real fears because a majority of us are being motivated from our fears and our limitations and not from what the real issues are so we talk about the three different types of false fears in there which are when you make assumptions or you allow your past to determine your future or you have a judgment against yourself or another person that's limiting you and we talk about in that book a lot about how do you break apart those fears, and how do you get to that real truth so that you know what changes you need to do in your life? Otherwise, if you keep reacting from your fears and don't deal with the fears, then what's happening is you're going to continue to be in the same pattern.
1: One of the greatest issues there, of course, points is ego. Ego is driving our world today. It's it's on the same level as fear Ego worries me when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to film or Hollywood. I'm there enough and involved in that theater. How do you overcome ego in people when they're attempting to get into the entertainment field? How do you diminish that in them, prove to them that it has no part?
2: Definitely, it's a business where, where a lot of people go into the entertainment business because they are lacking something inside and they want the outer recognition or they want the money because they want to prove themselves something to themselves. So that's but that happens in a lot of industries, but especially in the entertainment business. There's a real there's a real need for majority of people in the industry, maybe not the majority, but definitely a group who are there because they really are looking for a false accolades, false boost of of who they are as opposed to finding it within themselves.
1: Let's talk about your award, the Call to Action Award, before we go further with President Obama. That must have been a very proud moment.
2: It was really interesting because it happened um, last June. I got the call to service award from President Obama and and everyone's like, what was it like meeting the President? And you actually meet his representative and not the President, unfortunately. But what that is, just for our listeners who don't know, it's it's a volunteer award um, that you get if you have done an extraordinary amount of service out in the world with nonprofits and charities, which I do. And, you know, at first I was actually really like, oh, my God, I just got an award from the president. Isn't that cool? And I was, like, so excited. And then, you know, the day that I got it, it just, it just, I sat there and I thought, you know, I really appreciate this, but it really doesn't matter. Because in the grand scheme of things, I am so insignificant compared to what is happening in our world and the problems that we're having in our world. And who bloody cares that I've gotten this award when... There are people suffering, and I need to be doing more. It's really not about me. I think that if you've got food, safety, and shelter, you are doing pretty darn good in the world, really. So I look at myself and my life, although I'm sure I can list challenges. My life is pretty perfect right now. Um, you know, so I just really felt like, like... I appreciate this, but there's something more. And thankfully, because of that award, it really got me meditating on what is there more that I could be doing that I'm already doing. And because of that award, within four days of meditating and talking to friends and flushing it out in my brain, um, what it came to for me was that I really wanted to do something where I can go out and and really raise big-time awareness and money for children's charities. And I specifically chose children's charities because of my own history, but also because I was an educator and had worked and a lot of inner-city schools and saw what was really going on. So um, out of that there has, has been created what I call my Red Carpet Dreaming Tour. It's taking off in May um, of this year, actually, for six weeks, and we have chosen six cities and six fabulous charities and with in every week that we're doing is we're going in there and we're doing daily activities around town so people can, you know, get involved with the buzz and have fun. But people watching online will be able to keep up with the videos and the blogs and the little quizzes that we're doing so that people are involved both at the local and global levels. And then at the end of every week in each city, we're going to do a big, you know, fundraising concert, Broadway-inspired And we're also going to be doing a really cool red carpet star competition. And what that is is um, part of the reason that we're doing this tour, aside to raise money and awareness for the vital children's charities out there, is that we really want to inspire people to think about what their red carpet dream is. And not in a fame and fortune kind of way like we were just talking about but really about what is your true essence, what is your true gift, and how can you use those gifts to not only make yourself happy, but go out and make a difference in your community and or into the world. So what the Red Carpet Star Competition is, is that if you're 25 and younger and you love to sing Broadway and you've got a red carpet dream that can help the world, you will be able to send in a three-minute video and we are in the middle of selecting our celebrity judges and they're going to choose our top 10 in every city and the top 10 will actually get to perform in the big fundraiser raising show, which is going to be live-streamed across the world, and they get to share the red carpet story with the audience, and the top winner they get voted on gets to do a solo. So it's a really great opportunity to really get the message out that we're here to work as a, as a team on this planet, and we can all make a difference regardless of our gifts. And so we're really excited that we're going to be challenging these youth to really step up and, and do what they love while going out and helping the world. So we're very excited about this tour, and we're like three months out, I guess pretty close
1: (laughs) when you're out on tour and finding these kids especially in a city are you actually putting into practice meditation reiki talking about the chakras is that part of the journey
2: you know we haven't planned that out Um, right now we're planning the bigger events we haven't planned the smaller events um uh, the smaller events could be anything from, like, kayaking with the with the children in Vero Beach, Florida, where we're talking about obesity, so we want to get them moving, but it could also have to do with learning to love yourself, and we do a body image workshop where we do integrate the chakras and Reiki's. but we just haven't gotten that far in our planning. We're just finishing solidifying this week with the venues, um, and then we're going to launch the competition in a couple of weeks, and then we'll be looking in March more at the smaller um at the smaller um, activities that we're going to do so it's a possibility but we're not we don't have we haven't gotten that far in our planning
1: when you come away from spending time with these children what are your impressions of where they're at today in clearly a very chaotic world that is going through a huge change how do you see them reacting to it adapting to it
2: well I think it depends on the group of children that you're, that you're really looking at and where in the world you're looking at it. I would say that I'm encountering a lot of youth who are wanting to make a difference. I, I feel like there's definitely that group who are very conscious and who are very excited and they want, they're thirsty. I feel like our kids are really, really thirsty to get involved and they're thirsty to take action and they're thirsty to go forward and they really want to make a difference. And I find there's definitely that group of people. And then there is another group, of course, the ones who are really, really suffering, the ones who whose souls are who soldier, have been battered from whatever, whether it's that they've gone through illness or, or that they are low income. I mean, these kids, again, if you approach them with love, they will swallow up whatever you're feeding them. And I, and I know that from when I was teaching as well. I did a lot of inner-city schools, and I, would, and I was a consultant, and I would work with teachers, and I would see them motivating from fear. And the minute that I would go in with these kids and put them in a circle and close their eyes and set the intention for the day and take them through a visualization about how brilliant and amazing they are and how excited I was that I get to work with them and the brilliance that's going to come out of them, these kids were totally amazing. And I would go into schools where these kids would be beating up on each other, and they would be totally amazing with me just because I always set the stage for love. So so I see the same thing today. You know, some of these kids are really in battered situations from whatever they're dealing with. But if you show them a little bit of love, they will melt and they will lose their attitude and they will be there and they will, with bells and whistles on because they're giving them hope. And they will be with you and they're going to want to learn and they're going to want to grow. But you have to motivate from love and not from fear.
1: What do you look in the criteria when you're selecting your celebrities
2: we're not looking we're looking more for local people we're we're calling ourselves celebrities, so to speak but we're looking for local local people who again are very conscious and really love this project and, and want to help the world but They have to be extraordinary in their field. And so, you know, um, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, it's really cool. We've gotten some of the top radio guys in Scranton who are going to come out and be our judges, for example. Um, You know, in L.A., I'm talking to a couple of the top... Um, vocal teachers, you know, off of like American Idol, for example, um, who one of them is extremely deeply spiritual and very conscious and does a lot of her own charity work. So we're really looking at people who are in the entertainment business who have achieved a certain level and are able to understand that that this is a conscious project and that they're really looking at these kids, yes, for the singing, but also for what they're going to bring to the world.
1: Looking back over your life, you are clearly very passionate and doing an incredible job with your work and your passion. What resonates with you when you look back at your childhood that could possibly have been a lifesaver that you could translate into the minds and hearts of these kids that you spend time with?
2: Unconditional love and acceptance. Because that's what I didn't have growing up. I never thought that I was enough, and I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror for years of my life. I think that every adult out there, it's their duty to learn to love and accept themselves so that they could offer that same amount of love and acceptance to their children, to be loved and accepted for where they are at, at their life, and that will help them to grow, and it will ease their pain because they know that they are supported.
1: I think that's just defined you as uh, one of our modern-day heroes. And as far as dance is concerned, can you describe for our listeners, describe to people just what it is about dancing that is so electric, so important in our society today?
2: Well, as I had said earlier, a lot of it is that our body is always talking to us, and so we when we're dancing and we just allow ourselves to go with our music, the, the body will just take over and release what it needs to and move in ways that it needs to release whatever tension it has. Another thing is is that we always hear about visualization and meditation, and we always think about it in terms of sitting in a cross-legged position, and I actually meditate best when I'm dancing because, again, when I'm dancing and I'm in flow and I'm releasing all that tension and that stress, I'm getting out of my head and into my heart and into my soul. And when you get into your heart and your soul and you get out of your head because you're just being with your body and being with the music and the flow and the movement and the energy, that is when the divine essence comes through. That is when your divine guidance comes through. That is when you're able to truly visualize your life on a greater level. And obviously dance, I mean, we have one-third of our American children are overweight, so obviously dance would be very beneficial for these kids.
1: What is the major pivotal objective that you have now in the future, both for yourself, your loved ones, and those who want to become involved in this?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to my manager the other day about what are we going to do after this tour, and the original idea was to do a yearly tour, but now we're starting to think, you know, we have so many charities wanting to work with us, and we do actually have pretty strict criteria about who we work with, but uh, we are thinking tentatively right now that we will do a different charity every month so that we can keep the inspiration going. And keep the keep getting out there with the issues that's happening with our youth and our children and keep giving people opportunities across the US and Canada so right now we're doing six cities but there's a gazillion cities across the US and Canada so we're, we are going to continue to do that um, in terms of, of our charity work and in terms of continuing to excite and engage people in that way on a personal level um, on a professional personal level without the charity step I definitely you know back in Canada I was starting to get some bigger stuff in terms of starring in musicals and singing opera with some symphonies and I would love to be able to well expand that career down here in the U.S. as well as continue to do this project and continue it going so that we can continue to inspire people to step into their greatness and give back as well as bring light to what's happening with our children. So there's different levels that people can get involved. If you're a charity and you're a child's charity and you're interested in having us come to your city and partner with you on a project, we will be very shortly in the next month putting up on our charities page a form that you can enter, and then we'll be starting to go and plan the future ones. So for now, you can go to our website at Red Carpet Dreaming com and just enter your information and we will announce it or just keep checking back on the charities page. If you're looking, if you're a business and you want to sponsor us, that would be awesome. We have some really cool stuff because of the amount of social media and traditional media that we're doing and online and offline events that we're doing. It's an awesome opportunity for businesses to be able to get a lot of traction while helping out um, these charities and really making a difference. So, what we're telling um, them is, for anybody who's interested in sponsoring, two of our pages are up, but if you go to the, the individual pages of the different charities, we do have information on the event with sponsor packs there. And, again, we've only got two of them up, and it's under tour dates. Again, if you enter your name and, and email into our you know, sidebar information, then, then we will be able to keep you updated and let you know when the sponsor packs are available. If you want to attend the event, again, I'll just keep going to redcarpetdreaming.com. If you enter your information, you, we're always going to be emailing out opportunities to volunteer, to attend an event, to sponsor, or if you're a charity, or if you just want to be a spectator and just watch how it unfolds. And in terms of the competition, that should be up by March 1st. And again, go, go to the website, redcarpetdreaming.com.
1: And that brings us to the end of this program today. Cindy Ashton, it has been an absolute pleasure. Cindy, we wish you so much luck in the future.
2: David, I am just so honored. I think that you are an amazing interviewer. I'm so grateful that you have embraced me in this project and had as well. And I'm just so honored. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the level of questioning. It was much deeper than most people go. And I appreciated that. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: And to our listeners today, I do hope that you enjoyed this program as much as I. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening.
0: My one you all that matters. friend and father, then my world was shattered. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com.